I'm here to negotiate the surrender of the uh, Gorgonzolas. Now, here's our proposal. Hey. Take them. He's selling us down the river. The guy's a regular Arnold Benedict. I mean, switch them off, take them apart, steal their batteries, whatever it is you people do. Hey. Is that my JVC? Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spin Polish Presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Now shut up. (laughs) Guys, it's a reference to the movie coming up. Don't actually shut up. Yeah, don't shut up, Bartek. Bartek, in fact, is just plain Bartek. I was waiting for in the movie for him to call him plain Alan for the rest of the movie because he (laughs) says, my name is just plain Alan. He's like, okay, I was waiting for that joke, but... We are doing our show, Pictures Power, the show in which we cover a movie that has come recommended. If you can read, the title says what movie we're covering, but just for clarification, the movie we're covering is one that Bartek recommended. Mm-hmm. Bartek, the film, what is it? Which film did you recommend? It is the 1998 film Small Soldiers. Directed by Joe Dante and starring pretty much a lot of actors that he has worked with before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you recommended this. I did. Why? Well, we have to pick something for the show. But also, this is a, <laughs> <laughs> this is a film that I grew up with. It's it's a genuine childhood classic for me. That's interesting because when we've covered lots of childhood classics, they've been mine, mm. and I've been under the assumption that you have had this experience as well because we're the same age, we grew up in the same country where these movies played on TV or they were very much came out when we were alive, but a lot of the time you have slept on them, mm. and then when you said last episode that we're doing this, I got so excited because it's like, not only is it because it's been a while since I've seen it and this was a classic for me, but it was also like Bartek and I can connect yeah. because we finally seen like it, we have, we've mentioned we've had other past. ones, yeah. but like, it just feels so rare. Like when I recommend like, now let's do this kid's movie that seems iconic to everyone our age. You're like, I never saw it. Never mm. heard of it before. I should have picked Polish dub Toy Story. Yeah. Yeah, with that one Polish guy who narrates them all. (laughs) Oh, the lector. No, mine was genuine dubbed. uh, You know, so Small Soldiers 1998. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to be talking about this in depth. So if you have not seen this film before, give it a watch because we're going to be talking about spoiler stuff. This movie is literally 22 years old. So Mm. you've had the chance to see it. Um, if, if you're less than 22 years old, uh, I mean, you've had the chance to see it. I mean, it's been I mean, my e- brother's 1999, so it's been in existence their whole entire lives. Mm. So uh, we're going to be talking about it. Worth a watch. It's a quick, easy watch. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're squirmish about violence towards children, may- maybe not. But honestly, that's a part of the appeal, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I, no one dies in it. Don't but they? there's violence. There's towards... violence, but there's also no blood or death. No, there so... is blood. Is there blood? He's, he's bleeding from his leg when okay. he gets shot with the cob of corn holders. There's bleeding, but it's at night. But it's red. <laughs> okay. I didn't remember, but all right. And also, he his hand when it gets cut in the oh, right, kitchen. Right. There, there is blood. Right. There's blood. <laughs> and he does die after that, so there's death. <laughs> and then he's a ghost for the rest of the movie. It's odd. No, so Small Soldiers, you recommended this. A genuine childhood classic. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, that's your history with it. My history is it's also a genuine childhood classic. So how did this film enter your life? Did you somehow see this in the cinema? Was this one that was regularly on TV? Was it something that it was bought for you on video or DVD? We yeah, it was a we had a DVD of it, and I can't remember the context of it being bought. If my best guess is that someone just brought it home and said, "Hey, I bought this. Watch it. See if you like it." And, mm. and yeah, I watched it and I did like it. And I know that my brother, who was born nineteen ninety nine, so obviously was very young when I was very into this film. I think as a youngin, he was also into it, but every time I've brought it up in recent years, he doesn't quite remember it. So I'm very curious, like, if he ever does get around to watching it now as an adult, will he he remember things? Will he like it? Yeah. Yeah, What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I I remember this on TV all the time. 
This was like a classic staple. It was this and Jumanji. Hmm. I always feel like these movies were back to back one another because there were those weirdly adult, surreal ideas for family movies. Hmm. Would you agree? You've seen Jumanji, yeah? Maybe once a long time ago. I can't. But remember. there's there's this weird kind of feeling there when we grew up when that era. We've talked about many times before on the show where. There was these family kids films with extreme adult elements that are really jarring to yeah, watch. The, the trivia, but they're very thrilling to watch yeah. as well. The trivia said that it had to be scaled back from a more like older teens adult. Yeah, audience. which makes sense. And Joe Dante's back catalogue makes a ton of sense because he did Gremlins and Gremlins Two, the new batch, which I'll talk about because this film is very reminiscent of those two films, primarily the second Gremlins. Mm. You know, the idea of cute little things that turn evil, running around all over town making mayhem. Like Chip Hazard. Like Chip Hazard. That's exactly right. So, you know, the the innocence of something childlike causing destruction all over town and murder. Yeah. Just like Gremlins. But we'll get into that. But, uh, you know, he has that weird adult sensibility. He did, like, one of the segments in the Twilight Zone movies. He did Inner Space, The Howling. You know, he's an interesting filmmaker. And, of course, him doing this and it being originally made to be more towards teens and then scaled back towards more kids and family, you have this weird mishmash of things going on. So I would say... Bartek, I'm not going to speak for you, but I would say, for me, the legacy of this movie, the most iconic thing of this movie, and for most people, is the evil Barbie dolls Mm. sequence. I think that's kind of like one of the most iconic things that this movie is like a carrying over of it. Okay, yeah. Would Would you agree? That was what I always think of. Like, Chip has it, obviously, but I always remember, like, the fact that they turn these Barbie Gwendy dolls into, like, evil monsters with like knives for hands and that whole sequence where they transform them with the yeah and their dialogue like has not quite double meanings but like it seems more reminiscent of something a lot more girly than mm. yeah what they are monsters and it's the more horror element of the movie you know the idea of your toys oh, yeah, literally shots, turning not working and then you yeah, see that the static light flickering and like the idea of your childhood toys tying you down and wanting to stab you is something very scary and it, and it preys upon that idea of like dolls can be creepy yeah. and i think a part of it too is like people remember that and then you watch toy story uh, you watch small soldiers and it's a lot more friendly than that but then also <laughs> it's really not yeah i mean that's like that's a good point actually in terms of something unique about it like yeah what you were saying there about you know chip hazard and the the toys like i always think of those more than the barbie doll thing but certainly in terms of something more unique like Obviously, it drew upon inspiration from, like, you know, imagery from Gulliver's Travels, where they're mm. tying down Kirsten Dunst and all that. But, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, I'm not saying that Chip has and the rest don't have any iconic things. I think just in general, this movie, one of the big, you know, elements that is remembered is mm. evil Barbies. Yeah, it's definitely the horror aspect of the film. <laughs> Which I think at the time was more of a novel idea than now, the idea of Barbie being an evil thing. Yeah, well, they, they had to go the the extra mile of, like, giving them a more generic name, like, mm-hmm. not a brand name, Gwendy mm. Dolls. And making them voiced by Christina Ricci and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Who are the perfect casting choice for that? It's great. So, Bartek, when was the last time you watched this film? God, I f- if, if I had to hazard a guess, Chip hazard a guess. I was going uh, to say that. Chip hazard <laughs> a guess? I think I might have not been a teenager yet. It's It's been a very long time. Like, I'd seen it so many times as a kid that, like, mm. I think, like, one in seven lines came to my head before they happened. There were, like, one or two music tracks that I, like, almost oh, yeah. completely remembered. Yeah. But, yeah, it's been such a long time that I actually found com- new things or things that I never knew about before. Like, and... When I started watching it, I'd say that that was back around the time where I wasn't too used to English being my primary language. Mm. And also I wasn't, you know, knowledgeable about actors. And there was a whole bunch of themes about, like, technology and learning that completely went over my head. So, yeah, in a way, it was like a trip down memory lane and uh, <laughs> seeing a completely new film, in a way. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. I think I saw it in my teenage years the last time I saw it. And I remember... That was around the time in which, you know, 
like I was pursuing like this field that we are both interested in of acting and me being me as we've heard on the show I like having this knowledge of actors and actresses and films and production and all that mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where it's like I'd watch Small Soldiers being a teenage boy knowing that Phil Hartman who was in this film this he had died and was murdered and that's a whole thing that can be a topic of discussion but like I forgot when I was a teenager until like the very end that this was like one of his last movies. Like he got murdered. Yeah, apparently it was released like a month after he was murdered. And you have that post credit scene of a blooper of him, you know, being Phil Hartman and being like, Was that too much? And it's and you know, I remember being a teen seeing that and it made me really upset because it's just like, you know, knowing who Phil Hartman was and for us he was in our childhood very prevalently, you know, outside of just The Simpsons. He was in Jingle All the Way and this movie and several other projects, you know. Obviously, for Americans, he was in their lives more because they had Saturday Night Live and all these other things that we didn't necessarily have. Yeah. And then it made me think of just Phil Hartman. And then when I was watching it again this epi- for this episode, I forgot that he really isn't in it that much. Yeah. <laughs> And it made me upset that he wasn't in it that much, considering this is one of the last things he kind of did. And then I think of, like, in Futurama, how Zap Brannigan was going to be him. Like, that was going to be him doing it. And then, obviously, he, you know, he didn't get to live to do it. And how that character just is Phil Hartman. And so, watching it this time, there was, like, this somber mood to it all. But then also, i got to say, watching it this time around, memory lane triggering all this stuff, but also, like... There was lots of things that I found very interesting, like from an adult standpoint, like all this social commentary about corporate America and the interest that I want to discuss of the fact that this is a pre 9-11 movie, right? Mm -hmm. And the film has uh, villains being G.I. Joe Americana soldiers and how in a post 9-11 world (laughs) that wouldn't really fly as strong in a kid's movie, I don't think. Yeah, there there were explosions hitting buildings, yeah. Not even that, but the idea of the bad guys being the American the military. American, yeah. yeah, the American <laughs> military. I gotta say though, I don't know if this affected you, but we are both fans of Men in Black when we were young, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. One of the things I've always loved about this movie, even from a kid, was Tommy Lee Jones as Chip Hazard, because unlike most people our age, I did not like Men in Black for Will Smith. I liked Men in Black for Tommy Lee Jones, the old white guy. Hmm. And as a kid, I recognized it was the same voice. And I was just like, I fucking love this guy. Even as a kid, I was like, I love Tommy Lee Jones. And that's a big draw of the movie. What about you? Is that a draw that was something? Uh, Again, because I wasn't too knowledgeable about performers when I was younger, that was only a thing that I learned in maybe recent years. Like, oh, the Chip Hazard was Tommy Lee Jones all along. That's interesting. (laughs) So coming back, it's like, oh, there he is. It's Man of the the House. Yeah, Man of the House. So, how was it for you this time round watching it? Yeah, it was great. I liked it. You liked it? Yeah. Thought it was still good, still holds up, maybe exceeded what you remembered of it? In some ways, yeah. I think towards the end I was thinking, like, I'm enjoying this and nostalgia is a huge factor of it, but I need to try to, you know, think about it more without the nostalgia aspect, so... That's true. I was doing that a lot as well. Like, I was making a lot of notes about... critical things and I have a lot a lot of negative criticism of this movie I was speaking about it late into night with my wife who had rarely seen this movie she always had caught it in parts on TV Mm. but never seen it as a cohesive whole she's like big fat like with me it was big fat liar always missed a part of it and never saw it as a whole in one sitting so uh, I have a lot of negatives a lot a lot of negatives but the fact of the matter is I'm willing to admit that I don't think that this is really a good movie, but it's an entertaining movie, like Star Wars, The Revenge of the Sith. But unlike Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith, a thing that boosts it even more for me is what you just said. I have nostalgia for this movie. And nostalgia can be a deadly thing, as we've seen in recent years. Hmm. But the fact of the matter is, I'm willing to admit in this review that uh, if you do not like this movie and the fact that I do, I'm not going to disagree because I think a a part of it is I have such a childhood nostalgia for this movie. But I do see a lot of flaws in this movie to the point in which I'm willing to admit it's not a good 
movie. It's a fun movie, though, and I love the fact that it's a mess. Mm. This movie's a weird psychological nightmare world mess. <laughs> uh, but overall, one thing I will say is I walked into this Bartek expecting one negative thing to be apt, and I was proven wrong for pretty much 99% of the movie was I was expecting CGI to be bad. I was expecting the CGI of these toys walking around to be bad. Mm. And honestly, it still looks good. Yeah, yeah, it had a very animatronic feel to it because they're toys, so you kind of want there to be an artifice. But, you know, I was expecting it to really stand out a lot more, as from that era, a lot of CG elements do. Like, Jumanji's CG looks terrible now. Mm. But, like, yeah, I was shocked to see that the CGI still holds up really, really well. I was devastated. Like, I was expecting, like, me to walk in being like, well, the CGI is still terrible. Like, it's terrible from today's standards, but honestly... Only one or two times did I find it distracting, but even then, I was is because I was honestly keeping an eye out for it. But honestly, I think it looks great. Yeah. Um. So Bartek, with this film, um, you talked about your childhood thing. This is a movie about toys. Mm-hmm. Which one did you always want as a toy? I think I always really did like Chip Hazard. You like Chip Hazard? Yeah. I always wanted that one Gorgonite who gets the radio put in him. Yeah. I liked his design a lot as a kid. I liked all their designs as a kid. Yeah, I, I was thinking, I was actually thinking about this early this morning because I knew the question would come, like, which one did you want? And I, I think to myself that I, I don't know if I necessarily wanted anyone from this film, but I really liked this, the, the whole uh, idea of, like, you know, toys that interact with you. I thought, like, yes. that's a great idea. That should be in, like, every toy. That's exactly right. And um, So you're Dennis Leary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and I was thinking to myself that, like, yeah, because I watched this so early on when, like, English wasn't too great... I think I had a misunderstanding of what, like, the word defective meant, and I always mixed it up with, like, you know, interactive. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, like, you know, really cool. So I would always look at toys and be like, man. I wish these, they were these, defective. These boy toys, they're not defective, but look at all these ads for girl toys that, like, interact with you and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Like, why can't we have that in boy toys? Boy toys. That would be a great <laughs> name for boy band. Boy toys. Boy toys. Next to boy town. Uh, no, I agree. Like, I, I also had that feeling as a kid. And it's just... These toys in this movie, this is the nostalgia for me. I remembered these characters' visual designs, and I remembered certain characteristics. But honestly, going back to the movie, the Gorgonites don't really get much yeah. to do or much characteristics other than just this one spins around and this one's a Hunchback of Notre Dame kind of feel and this one's got a Peter Laurie accent for no reason. And I was and one of them's apparently a girl. The, the eyeball? I'm not sure which one, <laughs> but one of them is, I think, the one called Scratchet. Okay, the one that doesn't speak what words are, either. Apparent, the one that flings... Appa- apparently two of them are voiced by a guy, but one of them's meant to be a girl. Yeah, they're all voiced by Spinal Tap, as the credits like to remind us. And <laughs> all the bad guys are voiced by the Dirty Dozen, um, as the film likes to remind us in the credits. I was so overjoyed last episode when we were trying to remember what they were called, and you were like, the Gorgons? I'm like, I think they're Gorgonites. And no joke, for the rest of the week, I honestly didn't look it up, but I was... Tossing and turning all week, thinking, Gorgonites, that, is that right? I, I, f- I hope I didn't fuck that up at the end of last <laughs> episode. Then the film's like, Gorgonites, David Cross. Gorgonites! And I'm just like, I was fucking right! And like my little, my little brain just popped up being like, Childhood Ryan did a good job remembering that. Because I, it's I, just I, like I, I was worried. I was just worried like someone listening to this going, they don't even know. They were just called Gorgons. Hey, three episodes, I got the national language of Pakistan wrong. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's different. They don't, was... it, that's not as, as important as knowing if it's a Gorgonite. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Pakistani. Who cares? <laughs> Let's go with that. Uh, yeah, I remember, I, one of the lines I do remember is, like, one of them just going, Gorgons, and yeah. that should have been an indicator to me, like, oh, they're talking about a place, not what they are, but, yeah. But, uh, uh, I always wanted that Peter, uh, the, the the radio one, because he it was weird looking, and he was, like, a Frankenstein He's the creature. one that was, like, destroyed and, ma- and fixed yeah. with the radio parts, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he was a Sid toy. Which doesn't 
factor into the movie ever. It's not like the radio thing is like something major in his personality. Uh, yeah, I think there was one point where they like heard the the commando elite say something, but it didn't really matter. It, yeah, that is weird. You thought that I thought that the thing that they were going to go with was his voice was going. I thought they were going to do that old trick where his voice is it switching through all the radio channels, making sentences out of all these disparate elements of radio. Mm. I thought that's what it was going to be, but then he just had a normal voice. Yeah. Like he, he, he was whichever one, Christopher Guest or uh, Michael McKean, just doing a voice. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. I thought the whole thing was he was going to have like different voices coming from the radio to form sentences. Yeah, the Gorgonites had a lot of potential. Yeah, that's a weird thing. And they had a lot of design to them too. So I, yeah. wanted, I want the Gorgonites. I mean, I want Chip Hazard. Yeah. I don't really care about the other soldiers. I want Chip Hazard. He's he's the one you want, right? Yeah, he's got that design. He's, yeah, yeah, and he's Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> I, yeah, I want him as a toy, and I want Nick Nitro's face on me. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nitro, yeah. So this film has a lot going on. What were the things that you enjoyed about this movie? Um... I guess now that I've seen a lot more films, I do like that a lot of the Commando Elite scenes are playing on, like, military cliches. Like, a lot of the lines they speak are, you know, almost taken straight from or heavily mashed up from other, like, military things. Yeah, it's a lot of like incorporate like homage to military scenes and movies yeah so it really illustrates this contrast of you know it's a military film going on for them but they're toys yeah they're toys they're toys and they're also the bad guys i've mentioned on the show the film Patton, mm-hmm. and there's a scene in this movie where i didn't remember that they just did a whole scene from Patton where it's he's walking in front of the american right, flag yeah. and i'm like okay <laughs> fuck okay little kid ryan saw that before Patton. great like i still haven't seen Patton, so there you go yeah all right so you like that element of the movie what else about it did you really enjoy as an adult removal mm. of nostalgia like as just a film what what really tickled you about it um i mentioned earlier that i noticed the themes a lot more this whole idea of like they mentioned the word learning throughout the film a lot mm. and early on it's kind of taken as like a, oh kids don't want to learn that this is bad they want action um, but then that old, that idea of learning gets, you know, extrapolated more with the idea of what this chip does. And, you know, technology as a kid, you know, when they said chips, I was thinking, like, where are the potato chips? Like, <laughs> I don't get what they're saying. They're putting this thing in them, but whatever. See, as a kid who grew up on sci-fi, <laughs> I knew what they were talking about. I grew up on this. Does that count? Yeah, that No. Does it count, does it count if it goes potato. over my head? Yeah. I always wanted a crossover between this and Toy Story because they're very like you know it's the old if your toys came alive yeah well, I mean, and, and both of these are childhood classics of ours so yeah but they're very be... different approaches to the mm. idea of if your toys came alive would you want to see a remake of this film with the Ali Ermi like Ali I was men? surprised that he wasn't in it right Ali Ermi that's a good point actually but yeah. like I get why the voices weren't because they were getting the Dirty Dozen but like yeah. Ali Ermi was sorely he was, missed. He was the Commando Elite's drill sergeant when they were cadets. Exactly. exactly that's, my, right. that's my head cannon. Yeah. Yep. He should have physically turned up as a real person. Like, like you remember in, Term- in Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, a deleted scene in that movie is that they have Arnold Schwarzenegger as like a soldier guy that they did the visual basis of the T-800 on, but was he has a different from- voice. I've seen that. I didn't know that was a Terminator 3 deleted scene. Yeah, it's Terminator, Terminator 3 deleted oh, wow. scene. And and I would love that with Ali <laughs> Ermi, but he has the voice of Tommy Lee Jones. No, she had the voice of David Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Pootie Tang? Mine's <laughs> <laughs> Gizmo. So you were saying about... Yeah, the, the, the explanation of why they're defective, like it made sense to me and it's something that I never noticed about the film so there was mm. thought put into it so you're saying you really enjoy that scene where they went to go visit that guy in the decontamination suit when that scene started it confused me like what's going on here but yeah see i enjoyed it because that actor is robert picardo who's from star trek voyager and he's my favorite character in all of star trek the emergency hologram doctor and he literally filmed this scene in between shoots for Voyager so he had like literally a day to do it but he's like a Joe Dante 
actor like he's one of those guys that just flips around in the in the movies but like i agree too i like this idea that it's not the chip's fault it's the designs like yeah, the, the chip is fault. it's yeah the chip is just doing what it's meant to do but like it's how you program it into the software and since the software for the two toys are designed by two different people so the good guy impoverished kind of downtrodden native american-esque type gorgonites have their you know we just want peace and love and we've got to hide and let's not try and be confrontational to the corporate america macho hoo-ha let's kill everything in sight because we're america fuck yeah as team america bravely stated you know um yeah i like that it wasn't just a throwaway like oh the chip was made by military so they're gonna be military yeah i like that it's not just like oh the chip itself is the problem no the chip is just following through on what's going on in their programs i love the idea that if you programmed the software differently for the chip hazard people that they could be good guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah like if it wasn't like their whole program is to basically commit genocides Hmm. because that's all their thing is right like just destroy an entire race destroy the gorgonites yeah Yeah, destroy a race anyone who allies with them yeah exactly so genocides they're just like their whole thing is genocides and then put on top of all of this that the the head guy of the company who kind of put the pressure on these two guys to make this drastic pull gets away with it in the end he doesn't get yes dennis leary yes corporate america wins yet again globotech is there ever a movie where there's a corporate business with tech at the end that isn't evil (laughs) because globotech Mm. is very evil yeah i don't know i I think no no i'm thinking ratchet like nanotech that's just the hell it's not a company no it's not a a movie well there is a movie but with paul giamatti (laughs) um I liked watching this and seeing a lot of the adult elements really played well. I liked seeing the uh, the dynamic between the toys themselves of Chip Hazard and the Gorgonites and how there's that kind of, you know, we are wanting to be good and peaceful and there's like, there's no mercy. And like how that how straight face that is played, even though there is a lot of zany kid stuff where they're gonna play the soundtrack and they're gonna have like that scene in which oh no he's running over my nuts but he doesn't actually have any you know like but i like the fact that the film was brutal and had like yeah i'm gonna like murder one of the gorgonites off screen and we're only gonna find his parts left and all the gorgonites are gonna be really sad about that one gorgonite that got murdered that we never got the meat Mm. i liked how frank and brutal this movie actually was and i did like the fact that uh the bad guys you know the bad guys of the chip hazard people yeah they die sure but like the bad guys that made them get to go on another day and fund wars with this new tech that they made they're gonna give them to you know soldiers in like was it south america or whatever and it's just gonna continue on being like this evil thing and at the end of the day money solves all the problems it's like south american rebels they said money is gonna solve all these problems is a a very nihilistic point of view but i kind (laughs) of love the fact that this kids movie from the 90s was like this is how the world is kids this is not all the bad guys you know get caught at the end they didn't have that scene where david cross puts the handcuffs on a dennis leary and he's like yeah and then he did then david cross is the head of the company now or whatever like, like in he, other gets movies. To, he gets to like finish his pitch it's like you didn't listen to this pitch now yeah we it. didn't have david cross being like a badass at the <laughs> end or whatever he was still like pathetic but he was doing good things mm. like short-circuiting the powers and whatnot i'm trying to think of other things i liked i like seeing uh, kirsten dunst again this is like post jumanji pre spider-man yes yeah, so she... was like three years later i think so this is in this weird phase where she's like actually a teenager yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird seeing her in this apparently i the... forgot that she was in it apparently the main kid's one of the sons in krippendorf's tribe yep and more importantly he's one of the bad guy's sons in the greatest film of all time hobo with a shotgun <laughs> i think i did see he that plays slick and I can or cannot remember if he has the line of dialogue. One of the brothers in that movie has this great line of dialogue in which they're going to go murder someone with a pair of ice skates that they're wearing. 
And the line, the line delivery, and the line is, it's a beautiful day for a skate rape. And I can't remember if it's the kid from this movie who says that line. But if it is, God bless him. They should have put that in. They should have put that in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Just replace the bike with a skateboard, then it fits. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of weird adult elements, like the fact that they asked the kid if he's on crank. (laughs) That was a weird moment. That was a very weird moment. I like seeing Phil Hartman. Obviously, he was different to his character in Jingle All The Way, but he was still a smug asshole. Yeah. Like I said, wish he was in it more. You know, considering what we know now, like you know, I, th- I think he had one of the best lines in the film, which was, you know, I think World War Two was my favorite. War. That was a great line, and he said it with the utmost sincerity too. A completely unprompted. Unprompted. He was watching. I mean, he was watching. But TV, like, yeah, but... it's such a weird thing to say. <laughs> but like again. It's like he's a child, right? Like, he's saying in this kiddie way, where yeah, it's like, I, got... I think the Second World War is my favourite war. Like, and it's I mean, just like, he, he... he would have been one of the kids that bought the chip hazard. Like, me thinking about Phil Hartman, you know, we saw him recently in Jingle All The Way, and he was this guy with, in a sense, a lot of social power. Yeah. Like, people liked him, uh, he could get into situations easily. In this film... He has a nerd element where he's like super into technology and it... and he's a pariah for it. Yeah, because it... he's ruining everyone else's lives because of it. Yeah, it's like he's not cool, but he's like still the smug guy that we think that yeah. know, the characters that he plays. So that was yeah. really interesting. Um, man, I miss that guy. Phil Hartman was just so fucking talented and so fucking good, and it's just like. Even in this movie where he's wasted, honestly. They don't do much with him. He's asleep for most of it. He's so fucking good in this movie. And it's just such a shame that he wasn't in it more, you know? It would have been great to have more of him. I love the negotiation scene where he tries to negotiate with the chip hazards and they're just like, no, we're not going to do that. We don't accept mercy at this point, yeah. We're going to take down, what was it, 17 casualties or whatever? It's like, 17? Where did they get that from? Yeah, it's like, seven oh. Seven plus nine. So, yeah, seven, seven Gorgonites. Seven Gorgonites, nine, nine people. Nine people. And that was really brutal and <laughs> fucking fucked up to think about. They know their maths. I'm trying to think, like, other than nostalgia, the music's really good. As we've said, the special effects and the animatronics mixture is really good. Of course, Stan Winston did this. So, of course, the toys and the special effects are going to look good. All of the Chip Hazard crew have fun personalities, even if they aren't in it that much. They do have fun personalities, and I love how wickedly evil they are and how they refuse to ever be good. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else I genuinely enjoy. Like, the Barbie scene, the Gwendy scene's hilarious and disturbing. They set the boyfriend on fire. That was great. There was a trivia point that apparently that was a reference to a Rick Mail thing in great. some TV show. Bottom, probably. I think that was the name, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, he gets set on fire in that show a bit. I'm trying to think of what else I genuinely enjoy. I just love the look of the movie. Mm. I loved, you know, the colours. Uh, I can't think of much else I genuinely love about this movie, though. Like, there's a lot of nostalgia here. And there's a lot of great lines but anything else that you want to talk about in positives? I think I think that mostly covers it. Like, yeah, it's, it's a film I really love, but this time I did notice that, like, oh, yeah, I can see why this isn't a, a fantastic film in general. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about our negatives. Mm. What are yours? I, I feel like when it got to the point where... Because I remembered for sure that the final scenes of the film were the commando elite attacking the houses at night. Mm. When it got there, it felt like it was too soon. Like, there needed to be a bit more before it. A bit more calm before the storm? A bit more calm before the storm, but also I think it ties into what you said about the Gorgonites being underused. Because they get found, and then they have, like, you know, the, the... the otherworldly people in the modern world, like, questioning things, sequence. And then, once it hits nighttime, we're pretty much at the climax. Yeah. So I feel like just a bit more of that. Yeah. So I have a lot of negatives. Mm. But also, negatives that spark questions in a healthy way, I would say. Okay. So yeah. one of the things I've got to mention is Gremlins, is a movie that exists, as does Gremlins 2. Mm-hmm. This film has a lot in similarities with both of those movies. Like I said... You know, innocent childhood things turn nasty, evil, and wreak havoc for destruction's sake. 
Gremlins 2 is primarily more what this reminds me of because that has more of a corporate America anti-angle in which there's an evil corporate bad guy who wants to do weird crazy stuff but he's like a crazy man-child weirdo and Robert Picardo's in that movie as well and you know there's a lot of similarities in these movies. So that's something. If you've seen the Gremlin movies, you've seen this movie. But this movie is Toy Stories meets Gremlins, which is a negative on 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 a level because they're both made by the same filmmaker. There's a lot of little similarities, and of course, the Gremlin Gremlins, the first one, and I would argue Gremlins Two, the new batch, are superior movies to this one. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's something that you know that's a statement needing to be made. But like, I can forgive it because I grew up with this movie more than I did the Gremlins movies, honestly. But uh, the thing, too, about it is, in Gremlins 2, the evil corporate America angle, I think, is handled way better. One of the main issues I had, very straight off the bat, is David Cross and the other guy. I can't remember that actor's name, but I know that he does a good Christopher Walken impression. I want to say his name is Jay Moore or something. I know his last name's like three letters, something more. I, I don't understand the dynamic there. It feels like half-baked so david cross very understandable he's an optimistic nerd who believes in the whimsy of innocence and joy and toys Mm -hmm. and the other guy is supposed to be like the narcissistic corporate guy but the problem is he isn't that fully they don't want to fully commit to that because they need him to be a good guy at the end and i feel like to me it would have been better if the dynamic there was maybe he was what we see him at the beginning of the movie, but as soon as he's given the ability to jump ship and be an amb- we see that he's an ambitious go-getter, and maybe he has his comeuppance or revelations towards the end of the movie once he's seen his carelessness yeah, he turns in action. Like, yeah, like, obviously, you know, haha, but, like, I, I felt like he was too half-baked as a character. And that, I know this is a little problem, but, like, little problems build upon each other and they become big problems, and it's just like, David Cross, characterization, what he is, nails it. The other guy, not the actor's fault, but it's just like, I don't know what he was supposed to fully be. Yeah, that's a good point. When I when the film started and they were like, you know, chatting, they're going to the meeting, they felt like, even though, yeah, the characters are obviously completely different, it felt like they were like partners in a way. Yeah. And like they were going to like back up each other. Then when we got to the pitch and then like you know, David Cross, your turn's over, now it's this guy's turn, and he's like, alright, let me show you how it's done. Yeah, multimedia bitch kind yeah. of attitude. That and was, was the like... moment where I'm like, oh, I don't, I thought they were, like, partners in this pitch. Like, yeah, yeah it was it was, a, it was a shock there for me. And I think that is something that really throws things. So, like, little things like that. So it's like, okay, maybe if this guy was more of a corporate sleaze guy and he learns a lesson at the end about that but the weird thing is he if they did that it would contradict the fact that corporations always win at the end right Mm. that was a little problem i had one thing that i got completely thrown by was i thought for some reason that one of those two guys david cross primarily i thought he was the kid's dad like in my brain i was like oh and that's how he gets the toys right like he takes his prototypes home and the kid has them but then they're like no 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 dick miller is a truck driver and he gives him the toys because we need the toys to be in this kid's hands and it feels like to me i think you know this is just me writing my own script to streamline things i reckon it would have been much better if one of those two corporate guys is the guy the kid's dad and he brings these toys home and then wreaks havoc and whatnot. And it feels like it would have streamlined a lot of things. Especially if it's the David Cross one, because David Cross's whole thing is he wants peaceful friendly toys. And that's apparently what Alan's dad yeah, he's wants. Like no war toys. But policy. then Alan's dad never follows through on that anti war toys thing in his entire appearance in the movie. Like in fact I never understand why that's referenced. If you didn't reference that I wouldn't think that that's what the yeah, dad's all about. He's, the dad's anti what the mum's all about, which is peace and love and hippie nonsense. He's always like, I'm angry and I want to be angry. So I was like, do you see what yeah, I mean? It would, it would have made sense if his angle was more like vintage toys than anti-war or something like that. Yeah. Because that's kind of what they were going for. Like, you know, the, these are the cool new toys that are coming out. Here's a kid who works at his dad's store, which sells uncool toys. Yeah. You've got an angle there, and it doesn't really get played much. And I think, like, the whole toy store angle doesn't really get much use out of it, other than they have the boat at the end. Like, Mm. that's literally what it's there for. Yeah. 
And I feel like if you streamline and have one of those two guys from the old school toy company being the dad and they bring the thing home, even if it's not the David Cross one, but the other guy, something there would gel more and it would streamline more and it would make it more efficient to me as a story because the dad in this movie, he doesn't do anything for me. Like, he just, it's not the actor's fault. It's just, like, the character, I feel like it's just kind of, like, this weird mishmash of, like, we're told a lot, but we're shown a lot that's different to that. Yeah, his purpose is more to, like, you know, tell off the kid when he thinks the kid's done, you know, something bad again. And that's something, too. My main three issues is the kid, Alan, his whole arc, I want to question mark, uh, uh, corporate America is a big problem I have with this movie. That's the second one. People have that in real life too, right? But yeah, but <laughs> how it's portrayed in this movie. Yep. And then the third one is like, um, the bad evilness portrayed by the bad toys. I'll talk about that in a moment. But like, so the main problem I have with Alan is what's his journey? What's his arc? What does he learn? Yeah, cause we, because we're told what his story is. Yeah, we're told that he's, uh, you know, he's been expelled from two schools because he was a troublemaker that was acting out. Um, mm. And it doesn't really relate. Like it, and we see that uh, like consequences of that early on when people like you know know rumors about him. Like, oh, you're the yeah. kid that this, this, this. But yeah, I, we don't know that about him. We're just told that. Like, he, it's not like we get that vibe from him. He doesn't come across as a bad kid. We're just told that he was one long ago. Yeah. It would have made more sense if, and not that this is groundbreaking or anything, but like if he really wanted a girlfriend or something and this was stopping him, you know, by the end he gets a girlfriend, that would have been a sort of arc, but that doesn't really... I mean, they do get together at the they end. They do get together, yeah, but it's not like it was set up early on that like that's something he really wants. I mean, he kind of has that set up because he gives a mournful look when she kisses her boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he, she has a crush. He has, it's he, just he not, has a crush on her. But, but it's just not fully developed is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, like, yeah. My big problem is like we're told a lot, but we aren't shown a lot. So it's not like... So his whole thing is boy who cried wolf is supposed to be the conflict. So every time... He tells his parents something crazy's happening. They're not going to believe him because he's a liar. Yeah. To make that effective, we need to have him be a liar in the movie. But we're not shown him ever being a bad kid in this film. We're told about him in a previous life outside of the movie. He was, but we aren't shown any of that bad behavior. Yeah. So and they- where does that factor in? And then also, I gotta say, he's been told by we've been told that he had these really elaborate schemes. He never does those elaborate anything elaborate scheme wise to undertake the uh, like undermine the toys. All he does is just hit them with a baton and shit. Like that's nothing groundbreaking in comparison to he flooded a school classroom or he made a bomb threat or like all these really mm. Dennis the Menace times ten kind of schemes. In this movie, he doesn't really do anything that matches that evil scheming kid. It's not like we needed that evil scheming kid to save the day on a level. It's just kind of like um. David Cross comes in and goes, we could EMP them. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. And that's kind of it. Yeah. They even have that thing where, like, he comes home to give the ticket and the mum's like, did you do this? Did you do that? And he's like, mum, you know, I can I can do things without messing up. Is that such a crazy thing? And then that gets recontextualized later with the, the whole backstory thing. But, yeah, like you said, we don't see anything. And now that you mention it, there was also, I found it a bit surprising when, um, after the first part of the climax where it was just Christy, Allen, and the Commando Elite... They have that confrontation with, De- not Dennis Leary, um, Phil Hartman and his family, where, you know, they're saying, like, you kidnap, you're lying, this, this, yeah. this. And then, and it, it takes a while for the dad to really, like, really say anything, but he's on Alan's side. Yeah, I found that odd, too, because yeah. it's like, we've seen him be against Alan this whole time. And also, him being on his side means that he believes him about the toys, which last time it was brought up, he didn't. Because the toy didn't speak on purpose. But this time we've seen them moving, but like that's halfway through a scene. Like We don't see that moment where Archer shows that he can talk. It's already been shown off screen. Yeah. I found that very odd, because it's like, I want to relate to Alan. I want this thing, but it's like... 
it doesn't work. Like, to give an example of something similar that I thought of, I know you haven't seen it, I believe, but there's the film Hocus Pocus. Mm -hmm. In the film Hocus Pocus, a main kid is an outsider. He's literally from a different town. They've moved to this town. He's a snarky brat who doesn't like his sister, and he hates the town's heritage of being Salem, and he doesn't believe in witches. Then he's shown wrong because witches come in his life. And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, he's willing to sacrifice his life for his sister because he's gone through an arc. Mm -hmm. He's no longer that snarky brat that we met at the beginning of the movie. He's journeyed. And they also have that bit in the movie in Hocus Pocus where they burn the witches and they think that they're dead and you spend like a, a lull in the movie and on purpose calm before the storm before the witches come back and strike again. Like in this movie where Chip Hazard gets set on fire and then he slowly comes back but it's too quick. There's no real calm before the storm of like, oh shit, he's back. Like, we didn't kill him properly. That didn't work. In this movie, it's like, it's just saying like, oh, he was bad once and that's enough. Like, oh, we have this forced drama with his parents and it doesn't work because there is no real drama there. There's no conflict other than the movie wants you to believe there's a conflict. Yeah, and one of the big things that like happens to him that's, I guess, a change in his life is, you know, he befriends Archer, but what does it really mean in terms of, you know, his past? Mm. Like, did he need a friend? Yeah. And he's found one in an unusual way? And the problem, too, is he's such an unnecessarily mean person towards Archer for the first half of the movie, and it doesn't really resonate as much as, say, in Hocus Pocus, when he's that character, Max, is an asshole because we understand everything. We understand he's from an outside perspective. He's this LA kid in a in a uh, country town now, or whatever. Like that's simple. You can understand that city to country. Get it? There's going to be a shift in tones or whatever, and then they're going to have a journey. But like this, it's like he's just a dick to Archer. And I just kept saying, stopping. And the only reason he's a dick to Archer is so that we can prolong. The journey. Yeah, it's... If he wasn't, they would have found the Gorgonites in five minutes. We would have had this movie wrap up quicker because we need that conflict to be there. But Archer doesn't do anything to actually gain conflict from Mac, uh, from Alan. But Alan needs to be a dick so it, that it, way it, like, we can just prolong everything. Like the now shut up thing made sense because it's like, oh, you're a toy and I've kind of gotten over the wow factor. But once you're actually conversing with him and he's actually a person... At that point, you know, try yeah. try to talk to him. If a toy literally came to life and I had already figured out that he's like a sentient being and there's others that are under attack from like what is basically, you know, a kill squad, I would jump at the chance. But his like a refusal of the call is so forced. Mm. And that's the problem. Like, uh, I want to like Alan. I like the performance. I thought the kid did a great job. But like, I feel like it's just there for the sake of it. And then the romance is... I don't know. Like, it's very odd to me. Like, the film does that thing with the portrayal of characters because she has a boyfriend who's a nice guy. Yeah, Yeah. nice enough at least, yeah. We aren't shown anything dickish about him. It's not like in Snow Day. Hmm. The most we get is that, like, you know, he sees Alan, says, like, oh, I know you, whatever. And then uh, he doesn't yeah. even care. He's like, yeah. hey, I heard about this. And he's like, actually, it was this. And he's also, like, eh, whatever. Also, cool. as we learn later, he's older, so he probably isn't even saying the year level or whatever. So it's not yeah. like he's going to bully him later. And it's just, like... No they... school scenes, either. No, because they're weird. But then they betray his character because we never see him again because he gets set on fire and we presume he runs out and leaves, but then later on we see his motorcycle still there. So where did he go? The film doesn't care. Like, it just needs you to know that now her boyfriend's out of the picture, we can have them together. But the film already established that she isn't a monogamous person. She makes a big deal about how, you know, she doesn't really believe in that. So she's willing to date more than one guy at a time. Or, like, she's not faithful in that way. She's not into monogamy, which is fine. But, like, the film establishes that she's got this boyfriend. So you're expecting, like, maybe he's going to be a bully character or some dickish kind of attitude. But they didn't even want to work towards that. So it's a betrayal of that character who literally comes in to save her. And he suffers the biggest injury in the whole movie. He gets set on fire. And we never see him again. Yeah, he's because pantsless out in this if we thing. saw him again, we would expect him to still be a good guy. Like, there's no, there's not enough of him to really work on. So we need him to exit the film to the point in which I go, why is he in the film? So that Alan can have a conflict. Oh, she's got a boyfriend. Mm. 
And then at the end, he's like, we kiss because the boyfriend's gone now. But he doesn't know that. But either way. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's my big problem with the movie, you know. And the dad kind of factors into that because, like, you know, he wants to be this peace-loving... I like peace and love toys. But then at the end, he bows down to corporate evil that literally destroyed his home with war toys by taking their money. Mm. And I don't know what that's supposed to say. Like, I know the rest of the film is saying, like, the corporations win, but I don't know what the film's stating, that the dad, whose whole standpoint is that he's anti-corporate and he's anti-war toys, takes the money. I don't know what that's stating. Do you? Honestly, when I saw that, I was just thinking, like, oh, it's just a quick gag, because they do it, like, three times in a row. Yeah. Each time, it's, like, people... Well, the first time, it was, like, you know, leading up to it, but then the other two are like, you you can't get out of this. Oh, wait, yes, you can. And I get there's the rule of threes, but also you have the rule of threes where you break the rule at the third one. Like, this one takes it, this one takes it. These Those two self-serving characters, Phil Hartman and Dick Miller, they're always self-serving. But the dad's supposed to be the moral high ground man he's supposed to be a pillar of morals apparently like he's been grilling alan this whole movie about being a morally upstanding person and then at the end he bows down to corporate america what's that supposed to say and i don't know other than what you just said it's supposed to be a rule of threes gag you're not supposed to think about it but yeah. it's the problem is as an adult i'm thinking about it no i think man like yeah rule of threes gag where the the inversion of the third thing's different i guess was trying to be a gag yeah so it's just Unfortunate, but then corporate America. Let's talk about that. That's another problem I had. Mm-hmm. It's very muddled because my big problem is Dennis Leary at the very beginning. I don't know what his character is supposed to be all about because it's very conflicting. It's like he's supposed to be corporate robo. He's like ro- in Robocop where you have the evil corporations who will do all these morally terrible things because of profit. Like, is he supposed to be that? Because then he counteracts that by being like, uh, you know, I want them to have a battery that lasts forever. So you never need to buy batteries again. But that's very anti-consumerism, isn't yeah, it? it's anti, what's that term? Uh, planned obsolescence. Yeah, exactly. So the film wants him to be this kind of person that you said, where it's like he's thinking about things like what we did as kids. And he has the money to do it. But then also they want him to be evil corporate America. And in the film Gremlins 2, The New Batch, they have this very similar character. And he's far more the man-child crazy grown-up man who's like a got a childlike mind. And he's just like spending money wildly to fulfill these kind of childlike whimsies. This guy, he's supposed to be like a corporate shark. But at the same time... He's saying things that we believe as kids, like, I want the toys to actually do these things and interact. But it's like, the way that it's portrayed, he should be the guy who would want them to be cheap and want them to be shitty and want the... Yeah, I guess the angle they're going for is uh, the person that we're supposed to, I guess, relate to is the David Cross character. And he's saying things that David Cross, you know, is like getting flabbergasted at. Yeah, but it's also he's saying things that David Cross should be agreeing with. Like, don't you want the toys to interact? But then obviously, like, that's a big hassle. He's just Especially feels... when there's only two employees left because yeah. everyone else got fired. But it's really this weird mishmash, right? He wants things, but he doesn't want things that go against this corporate America consumerism angle of the movie. And then at the end, he's like full-on bad guy where he's like paying everyone money. He's got a big helicopter. He's, you know, saying this thing and this thing. And it's just like, but what about that other guy from the beginning? And then he's like, I'm going to use these toys as literal weapons. Like... Okay, but that conflicts with what we first met him as. But also that first scene I thought was very conflicting. I don't know if you noticed that at all, if you had any feelings about that. I just felt like it was very mixed messages about it all. Oh, yeah, now that you're mentioning it, yeah. Because when I was watching it, I was just thinking like, oh, yeah, he's he's trying to build a franchise and like putting all these positives. But yeah, I, I, the planned obsolescence thing, that's another thing. That's, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. And it's just very weird to me, but then he also brings up points that I totally agree with. And the movie's saying, no, you shouldn't agree with this, which is David Cross's ideas for these toys fucking suck. Like he's right. The corporate guy's right. Like kids don't want what David Cross is selling. They want fun action. 
But then the movie's like, no, no, no. They want boring hippie toys about learning, actually. And and I'll be honest with you, as a kid, I didn't want that. Yeah, I wanted probably not, kick-ass yeah. bad toys. And that's why in this movie, when I watched it as a kid, I thought the Chip Hazard toys were fucking cool and badass and epic. And that goes against what the movie's <laughs> actually wanting from you. But the problem is, the Gorgonites don't do anything in the movie. They don't really do anything, and they don't really have any character or They conflicts. feel obligated to not do anything, too. And yeah. that's a problem, because it's like, well, I like the Chip Hazard crew, because they're actually doing things now, throughout the whole movie. They don't wait towards the end to do something. Hmm. Um, like, you know, corporate America buying out the little guy at the end, that's a really scary message. Like, Dick Miller has that at the very beginning, where he's like, his truck company's been bought out, and he's just like, I'm just waiting... Like, he's, he's completely apathetic now. Like, ah, fuck it. Like, I don't care. And then at the end, he takes the money. And it's just like, okay, so the message is this corporate greed is consuming all the little businesses. Even, like, obviously there's a joke to be made, but Dick Miller's like, I believe one day one giant corporation will own everything. And you can just go, <laughs> yeah, Disney or <laughs> Apple or whatever. Or, <laughs> you, you know, Amazon, whatever. But, like, yep. he's right. It's, ba- it's basically like the market's going to be consumed by certain big companies and they're going to rule everything and all the little things are going to be consumed. That's great. But then the movie, I don't know, it kind of doesn't want to do that because this is a kid's movie, which is fine. It's cool. But uh, I don't know, I want a bit more. And then my other problem I mentioned was the inherent evilness of our bad guys. As much as I delight Bartek in watching our bad guys, you mentioned it, the third act where they come back with a whole army of them from the toy store. I found a bit boring. One of the problems I had with it was Chip has it himself as a character. He maintains the same level of bad guyness throughout the whole movie. He doesn't escalate at the end. Mm-hmm. I thought him being physically scarred and war-torn and his men being destroyed, he would escalate. And I think they think the escalation is he just gets more guys. But him as a character... Chip Hazard, I wanted to see him fray at the edges. I wanted to see him to lose that that formality or to to go up to 11. But es- he kind of maintains the same level throughout the whole movie. Especially because that would tie into the whole idea of these toys can learn. You can, like, take that word learn and change it to develop. You know, you develop his, his motivations or his actions a bit more. Yeah, and I wanted to see, after he had lost the battle, I wanted to see him to enter the war with a crazed perspective or something terrifying or something more than what he did when he went into the battle to begin with. He just kind of maintains the same level. And I've got to be honest, that final battle sequence, he's flying around on a helicopter, he's on the power line stabbing. I felt like there was a weird disconnect with Chip Hazard. Like, I kind of forgot where he was in the grand scheme of things, like where he was located at times. I felt like they focused on too many other disparate elements. Yeah, and so I just the copies of the other toys. I just wanted them to focus on Chip more. That's just me, and that's one of my big problems too, is like, as much as I love Chip Hazard, I just wish that he went crazier at the end. Like, just something to spike, to be like, now we've really got to take care of him. But I think the film, you know, you could argue, is the fact that he just gets more toys is the escalation, but I think the escalation of just more of is boring, because there's always that rule of, it's hard to defeat a ninja, but it's really easy to defeat an army of ninjas. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what this movie did too. It was really hard to defeat six of them. Well, now that there's so many, what well, how's the way we can take care of all of them? Lawnmower, <laughs> <laughs> lawnmower, and EMP. You know, an EMP, things. EMP, EMP. I like that Phil Hartman was the one that solved the EMP problem because he's yeah. a tech nerd. Yeah, that, I really like that too because it tied into like his eccentricity. Yeah, um, and those are like my big issues with the movie there's several other things but those are just little things but like that was those are my big mm. kind of things that drag the movie down and i'm like you know they contradict a lot of other things and those are inherent problems and unlikable characters the human characters are pretty dull in comparison to the animated ones and then even that's not necessarily true because the gorgonites are barely even there yeah i guess another thing is that the Gorg- the gorgonites have this like moral that <laughs> kind of exists in its own plane of reality from the rest of the film this whole idea of like 
just because you don't know something doesn't mean that nothing's out there. Mm. It's like something they learn completely separate from the plot, and that's also the ending of the film. Yeah, because that was about wind. Yeah. And the, the, like, because was that meant to be Alan's conflict in I some way? Like, so. yeah, I know, that's what I mean. I think it's just supposed to factor into the fact that at the end, Archer is like, yeah, I've learned something and you haven't. And then Chip has it like, yeah, you didn't learn how to win, though. And I think it's like the idea is the Gorgonites have adapted to different understandings of life. While the chip hazards are never going to. They're just going to continue on that one mission. Mm. And what would happen to them once they finish that mission? What yeah, would their, their mission yeah, is to defeat the Gorgonites. And once uh, there are no Gorgonites, you're right. I was more interested in... If the movie was longer and had more depth and was a different movie, I would have really liked to have seen what Chip Hazard would have done if he acted, accidentally activated another Chip Hazard. Yeah, like a Buzz Lightyear kind of thing. I said that to my wife last night. I'm like, it's like when Buzz meets those other Buzzers in the, buzz the toy store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like when he goes to the toy store and he sees all the other... And it's just like, I would have loved to have seen Chip Hazard have power struggle with another Chip Hazard. That's a really good point, yeah. Like, what would happen if you had two of them? Especially because we've been teased by, like, there's a guy in a Chip Hazard suit and then Chip Hazard sees a giant Chip Hazard on top of the factory... It's like, you know, now let's have him meet another toy, Chip Hazard. Yeah. But that would be too much. No, Toy Story 2, Small Soldiers 2. We have to escalate that way. <laughs> Smaller Soldiers. Smaller Soldiers. <laughs> Where they're even or like Japanese, Japanese Chibi Chip Hazard. I don't know what that is. <laughs> chibi, like tiny, super deformed. Of course. Thing, yeah. Super deformed. That's what they're called, SD. Cool. I'm glad that you know that. I mean, I can't think of much else to say. It's just, you know, it's a solid movie. Although I have a lot of negative things to say, I still enjoyed it. And I'll watch it again at some point. It's a childhood classic of mine because it was on TV. It's got these really super adult elements where there's people being stabbed a lot mm -hmm. and brutal violence towards children that you don't see in these type of movies. I like that they gave a toy the, uh, the Wilhelm scream. Twice. Twice. Yeah, that was weird. It was very odd, because it didn't sound like anything like the it's, voice. <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed like it was meant to be a joke, but I, I can't tell with the Wilhelm scream. No, not anymore. Um, I can't think of much else. Anything else? No, no, I, I brought up the whole ending thing with like, oh, will they actually find something? But I guess the whole idea is, you know, it could be anything could happen to them. Anything could happen. Small Soldiers, a fun movie, flawed but a fun movie. It's a, it's a good time, and it had Robert Picardo in it, and is that that's all I can ask for at the end uh, of the day. I, I would fist bump slam fist. Okay, I thought you were going to say I would just fist the movie. <laughs> like, okay, Bart, like, that's a weird I would, statement I, to I, make. I, I would fist slam fist. A childhood classic, I would fist. <laughs> like, You're fisting me. <laughs> um... You knew that Michael McKean came back and was the voices. When I was two, when I was looking up the cast, I'm like Michael McKean. This is someone Ryan said a lot about, and I actually did remember in my head. Oh yes, yes, he was in Coneheads. He had the best scene in Coneheads. Yeah. You remember the scene? Uh, the bucket where those <laughs> poor asylum seekers are just stu stuck in was basically a giant metal bucket, and they're not <laughs> even traveling it. Like water isn't even pushing them, and he's just like the the border patrol, and he's just like. Go back to where you came from. We can't help you. We've got problems of our own. And it's like so unfeeling. Um, also, the cat's nice in this film. The, nice the cat, cat was nice. Yeah. It's dead now, but it was, it was very nice. Very dead. Very much in heaven with the Gorgonites. You think in heaven? <laughs> uh, maybe it was a hellish cat. Can yeah. Gorgonites go to heaven? <laughs> they go to... No, they go to Gorgon. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Gorgonzola. Gorgonzola. That was sad. That was a gag in the film. Well, yeah, you're right. That was a gag. Uh, okay, so... That's about it with Small Soldiers. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the recommendation for next episode, just want to say uh, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Posh Presents. You find us pretty easy. We post some fun stuff on there. Mm -hmm. Questions and, you know, videos and memes and, you know, discussion of things on there. On both, uh, we also are on YouTube, Spit and Posh Presents. We have our email, Spit and polished at gmail.com where you can email us with your questions queries statements film suggestions favorite bible verses favorite threats 
Uh, yeah, film suggestions for stuff, you know, for films that you're interested to hear us cover. We have a list of them. Uh, every third episode, we do a listening people's choice. So last episode was that. Yep, we're two episodes away. So, um, yeah, and just, you know, we're on all the podcatchers. So, you know, rate, review us on whatever one's available to do so. Very much appreciated. And just, you know, share us around with all your friends. You might be sitting here going, I love Small Soldiers, but my friend Joey... He liked it even more. Maybe he wants to hear Ryan anal- make a nitpicking analysis about how corporate America wasn't really integrated well into the movie. <laughs> also, I find it very distracting that Dennis Leary is a stand-up comedian. And he just basically did his stand-up routine halfway through his speech in the beginning. Like, Dennis Leary is very much like uh, one of those political comedians. Like, if you've seen Demolition Man, he's in that. And his character fucking sucks because it's just Dennis Leary being himself. In a movie that's like set in an alternative future world. Earlier in the episode, when you were talking about how if you befriended Archer and like he gave you this conflict and you'd actually help him, I was thinking more like, you know, you, you're a funny guy, how your outtake of this whole journey would be like stand up material rather yeah. than like a coming of age story. Yeah. Like, dude, I once befriended this slam fist guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. One time, Frank Langella was the voice of a toy. <laughs> so, um, my suggestion it is for the next episode, isn't it? Uh, yes. We did yours. We did listening people. Forget stuff. suggestion. We'll watch the film. For Recommendations. Sure. So the recommendation for next episode, I've tossed and turned, and I was thinking about this. And in this episode, the movie had an actor that was that's in the movie I'm going to recommend by happenstance. I already picked it, but then this movie has this actor in it as well. Nice. Uh, Robert Picardo. Mm-hmm. We're going to be covering next episode, the 1985 Ridley Scott movie, Legend. Okay. Specifically, Bartek, the director's cut, which is 113 minutes long. Is that longer than the theatrical? Which is 95. Okay. Why we have to specify is there's literally like six different cuts of Legend. Oh, there was the theatrical cut, there's the theatrical cut for the Euro- Europe, there's the TV cut, there's the director's cut, there's so many different cuts. It's one of those things I had to really think in research, which cut are we going to watch? And it's like, we've said this on the show before, I wish there was a site in which it was like, which times are you, is it actually necessary to watch a director's yeah, like cut? A film encyclopedia But cuts. we both know the, the rule of thumb is the Ridley Scott cuts of his movies are genuinely more the better ones to watch, like Blade Runner and uh, I want to say Heaven's Gate or whatever. But um, So director's cut, Ridley Scott's cut of... Uh, Legend from 1985 with Robert Picardo oh, and Tom Cruise, whoever that guy is, and uh, Tim Curry, whatever. I know uh, Tom Cruise. He's the religious dude. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, so we're going to be covering that. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I'm not sure I have. Have I even heard of uh, it? I must have heard of it. But You'll no. know something about it once you visually see it. You'll be like, oh, it's this movie. Right. Once a certain character turns up, you'll be like, oh, it's this movie. Oh, this is the thing that Who's On First is from. Yeah. Well, you know one thing about it, which is if you've seen Blade Runner, they reuse unicorn footage from this movie to make Blade Runner a more surreal dream movie and just pull it out <laughs> their fucking ass, Ridley Scott. Okay. Uh, but either way, so that'll be the movie of next episode's discussion. 1985, director's cut, legend. Legend. Yep. Fantasy film legend with Tommy Wiseau. No, uh, no, Lee Jones. You said the same as this film. Tommy Lee Jones as, as Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, listening people, remember... No mercy. <laughs>